Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Milo. We're so glad that you guys made it this morning. Uh, two quick stories before we kind of get started. Last night, uh, I got a message that, that a friend of mine from high school that I hadn't spent any time with in really 15, almost 20 years sent me a, a link that said, hey, I don't know if you could drop everything and come, but we're going to this Christian concert in Niagara Falls and you're welcome to come with us. The neat backstory there is this is one of those guys that would have been the last person I would have ever expected to invite me to a Christian concert. And, um, and so it was just neat to kind of see what had happened there and his life had changed and I didn't realize it and how he had uh, gotten involved in his local church and God was doing a lot of things in his life. And, uh, but why I bring it up was we're standing in line for this concert and all of a sudden someone starts sh shouting, Milo, Milo. I was like, what on earth? And it was Maria and this whole group of students from Crew are at the same concert as us. So that was weird. So it was good to see you guys there. And uh, a similar thing happened uh, about three weeks ago. Uh, I was at a conference in New Jersey and uh, kind of, it was a church planting conference, really looking at what's going on in New York State. And I'm very involved in what's happening here in Western New York and how we are trying to reach the area. As you know, in North Tonawanda, we've planted a church, Renewal Church. And so we were thinking through that and there was this couple off to the side and I couldn't place them. I'm like, how do I know this couple? And it was the Hills, they were in uh, New Jersey and they're here this morning. So, so good to see you this morning. Uh, Little, if you don't know, yeah, you can clap your hands, yeah. Uh, they thought that they were going to go and put their feet up on the beach, and God told them to plant a church there. So that's what they're doing. And so, uh, and so we run into each other in New Jersey, and God is really doing some neat things there. So thanks. It's good to see you guys here this morning. I don't know how many of you came here via the beach this morning, uh, but you made it here. We're glad that you're here. Uh, it's Mother's Day, and so uh, there could be a number of reasons why you're here, but boy, we are so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, I grew up in a church, and maybe you have experienced this before, where Mother's Day often meant that we were going to have every, you know, I was going to have a bouquet of flowers here, and I was going to have uh, the one with, you know, 15 grandchildren, or 15 children, or 175 children, uh, like, I'm going to give the flowers out, and you kind of work your way through the list. And um, I, over time, it's been, uh, it's been more noticeable to me that that doesn't always work the way that we want it to work. We want it to recognize those who uh, we value very deeply, but we don't realize that we're also kind of sticking the, the, we're sticking it to some people uh, when, when we do that. And so this morning, uh, and I've read this before, but I want to read this again. This is uh, by a woman named Amy Young, and uh, she wants to help us acknowledge the wide range, the wide continuum of mothering. And so I think this is a better way to recognize motherhood this morning. So let me read it to you. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day, and you wear the badge of food stains on your shirt, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, a failed adoption, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with the pokes, the prods, the tears, and the disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have aborted children, remember them and remember you on this day. 
To those who are single and you long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you long for it to be. To those who are step-parents, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who have the emptier nests in the upcoming years, we grieve and we rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold the child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and the surprises, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. Happy Mother's Day. Just give mothers a round of applause this morning. Well, I shared this a year ago, and so if Mother's Day is the only time you come to our church, I do preach other sermons. So maybe you should check us out somewhere in between. Um, about two years ago, I interviewed my grandmother uh, for a Mother's Day sermon, and it's just it's so personal to me. I just want to, I'm going to share part of her story again this morning um, because it's very special to me. And so uh, in that process, though, I think that there's a lot of things we can learn. So my, my grandmother's Mother's Day story was that she married, her name is Sonia, she married Ben Glazner in 1957. And then here's what happened. In 1958, Debbie was born. 1959, Rick was born. 1960, Donna was born. 1961, my mother, Dawn, was born. 1963, Mike was born. 1965, Nick was born. 1967, Randy was born. They had seven kids in nine years, one after another after another. She told me, and she wanted to make sure that I wrote it down, so I have to share it with you this morning. You will know you will have a good man by how he treats his mother. How many of you agree with that? All right, yeah. The unfortunate side of that was is when she married uh, Ben, she could tell that he didn't treat his mother very well, and it began to lead to many things along the way. Alcohol, physical and emotional abuse progressively got worse in their early years of marriage. And my grandmother at times, she, uh, she committed, she looked at committing suicide as a way out, but she saw these seven kids and knew that that would be the end for them. So in 1975, grandma and the kids moved into her mother's home and they made it work for a while between her and her husband, Ben. Uh, they didn't necessarily separate officially with, the, with lawyers getting followed and that type of thing, but they began living separately. They did separate. Uh, ben went to Florida. He left a note at his house. He picked up the three youngest boys from school and took off with them and headed to Florida uh, where his family was from. And so in the chaos of all of that, my grandmother did get a lawyer. She planned with him that she would drive down to Florida, uh, similar as what had just happened to her after the school uh, let out. She would be able to grab the boys and make a run for the New York border because once she crossed the New York border, the, the law would be able to protect her. But until she got the kids back into New York State, she was on shaky ground at best. In January 1976, this is what she was planning. She had not actually hit the road yet. January of 1976, she found out and got the word that Ben, uh, the boy's father, was crossing a train track and in his car when it was violently struck and he was killed. And so now her three boys are in Florida, thousands and thousands 
miles away. So we live in a chaotic world. This happened uh, a number of years ago, uh, but this story may not be so foreign to some of you. Some of you have played this out and I've heard your story. Some of you have a very similar story to this and each of the steps and, and running across state lines and trying to get away from a situation. Some of you know this really well. And there's others of you, like myself, where this, is, this seems like a, a novel. It seems impossible that this would happen in real life. That wasn't really what I grew up with. But if you'll imagine those three boys in Florida, miles and miles away from home, the way that they felt in that moment, not necessarily knowing what was going on, who they were going to turn to, and their mother states away wondering how she was going to get there, what she was going to do, how she was going to help. It's a very difficult situation. So as I paint that picture for you this morning, this story is extremely difficult. Uh, that time was very trying for her and for the family. And there's, no, there's no mistaking, though, that in the extreme and in the difficult, our lives are forever altered that stamp on our lives that happen in those moments, the scars that we carry from those moments will be distinguishable for the rest of our lives. This story is unique. It's not your story, it's not my story, but there are some common characteristics in this story for each of us. And so if you've got your bulletins this morning inside of there, there's a white little sheet of paper we work through as an outline together. And the question I wanna ask this morning are what are the common life experiences that will endanger or empower a faithful life? What are the common life experiences that will endanger or empower a faithful life? The word faithful is one we use often, and it really is, that it is really kind of put together those two words, the faithful, of, of a, a cup of coffee being filled to the brim, and you try to carry it across the room, and it spills over a little bit, and it burns you. That's, that's full all the way to the top. It's abundantly full, to the maximum, to the brim. And these, these difficult situations in life can endanger us. They can pose a threat. They can become a detriment to the rest of our lives or they can empower us to activate, to make operational, to engage. If you're joining us for the first time, we're week number two in a new sermon series that we call The Race. We just showed uh, the intro video there. Uh, this morning, uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we'll be this morning, Hebrews chapter 11. If you're using the Bibles, those black Bibles that are in the pew in front of you, it's page 1262. If you're familiar with this passage, this chapter is often referred to as the Hall of Faith or the, the Hall of Faith, the, the fame for faith heroes. I've also heard it called heroes and record holders of faith. And so the thesis statement is given in the first verse of chapter 11, verse 1, and this is what Brian covered last week, and he says, the faith is a substance of things hoped for, for the evidence of things not seen. And Brian shared with us this statement last week, which is a good basis for us to start. Faith is not the absence of uncertainty, it's the action despite it. Faith is not a feeling, it's a choice. I choose to believe God and respond in action despite how I feel. And Brian really laid out for us really a basis of where we're going today with today's message. And, 
uh, a series of events that happened very quickly over the last 24 hours. Dan Davis, the pastor at Renewal, is stuck in Florida. His plane never made it uh, back to Buffalo. And so Brian's actually out at Renewal this morning preaching the very same sermon that he preached last week to be able to share that, that faith is the evidence seen. And so uh, as that video showed a minute, a moment ago, you have a, a man in the starting box. He's about to take off. He's about this idea of either uh, these things that happen, these life experiences will endanger us or empower us. Uh, that is, the, the video is showing an illustration of a person being empowered to take off, to, to start, to, to launch off into what is next. And that is really what faith is all about. So, this morning as you come in, the pain and the chaos that you are going through, ma'am, on Mother's Day, that pain, that chaos is real. It can either endanger you or it can empower you. That deep-seated fear inside of you, sir, where you don't actually know what you're going to do with your life, where you're going to work, or, or really if you're comfortable with where you're at that you don't want to share with anyone, that deep-seated fear, sir, is going to either empower you or it is going to endanger you. In Hebrews chapter 11, the text that we are covering today, and there's actually more within this chapter as well, we will see the words, by faith. 12 different times, by faith, 12 different times. If Nicole was still in here with us, she's serving in our kids' ministry this morning, she would tell you to star it, to circle it, to take a glob of paint and splash it on top of it. Do something to make relevance, so circle it in your body. As you make your way through the passage this morning, you're going to see the words, by faith, again and again and again. But don't miss this, by faith, these people were just as scared out of their socks as you are. By faith, these individuals stepped forward in faith and were terrified in the process of doing so. Common life experiences can either endanger or empower a faithful life. And so let's talk about some of those common experiences. If you're filling in with us this morning, here's your first one. When I am longing for something, when I am longing for something. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 13. All these people, let's use the list of people that Brian worked through last week, the, the, the verses above, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The author of Hebrews extends this experience of powerlessness to include those who are living faithful lives. They have this everywhere they can look, they can bear this great power of going forward, even though that there is this unfulfilled longing in their soul. Even though all of that angst is there, they can push forward. And wanting and not having can easily be a distraction for us. It can easily pull us away from seeing the hope that is there in Christ Jesus. But people who are faithful realize that their deepest longings will never be satisfied here. This world is not our home. I'm just a passing through. 
My treasures are laid off somewhere beyond the blue. Andrew Peterson is an author and a songwriter that I really enjoy, and he's got a song years and years ago called The Far Country, The Far Country. And the beginning of it just starts off telling the story of Father Abraham and what Abraham was looking at, that far country. In the 17th century, there's a German mystic who said this, God, his name is Meister Eckhart, God is at home. We are in the far country. God is at home. We are in the far country. C.S. Lewis said it this way, all our desires on this earth are actually desires for heaven. We will never be satisfied here. We will always be strangers. We will always be pilgrims until we will reach our heavenly home. And so there is this longing for something, longing for something more when we see it in the lives of all of these characters we see in this chapter. We see common experience that you and I experience as well. There's this longing for something, and really that longing is for our heavenly Father and our heavenly home. We got to celebrate with Miss Hazel yesterday, a hundred years, a hundred years. Will you please give Miss Hazel a round of applause? She's We played a video on the things that she has lived through in her life. And yet, when you hear her story and you talk to her, there is this longing for heaven, this longing to see God's will come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. She has 100 years of life. It is so good to have you here with us this morning. There's 100 years of her life after that goal and after that mission, longing for something. Common life experiences that can endanger and empower, what are they? A faithful life, first, when I'm longing for something. Secondly, when I lose what I love. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. This promised child was precious to Abraham. It is impossible to think about the loss of a child being the real test of Abraham's faith and his supreme devotion to God himself to be put in that spot. And yet Abraham put his son on the altar because he believed that God's mission, God's vision, God's plan for his life was stronger than that that he couldn't understand. Abraham knew that God could be trusted, even if it meant losing his son. If you've heard our story many times, and many of you have, we, we lost a son. My wife and I, Josiah, was eight months old when he passed away in January 2010. He was born with a heart defect, and we went through what seemed like a hundred different surgeries and procedures and everything that we possibly could for this little guy. But when we lost him, this is a common thing. When we lost him, he had a choice to be either that was going to endanger our faith for the rest of our lives or it was going to empower it. And God has spoken to us in very real and tangible ways 
using birth, his birth date or the day that he passed away or nine months from his birthday, everything in our story of when we see God's will, it always seems to come back to the way that he has used the life of our son in our lives and in our hearts because he knew that that was the way to get to our heart. And it actually empowers our faith journey. And through that process, there have been many, uh, many of you that we've been able to come across and they may not be the same situation. Maybe you've not lost a child. Some of you have. But a lot of times at the, at the root of an addiction, at the root of grief, and the root of all of those things, there's this, this loss that has been there. And for some of you, it's the loss of a career, the loss of a job, a loss for a hope. Some of you have gone through uh, car accidents and different things like that that just that have, have changed the trajectory going forward. And that loss is so much to handle. And so that loss can either endanger or empower. And so in this process, we're seeing demonstrated here by faith, Abraham, by faith, Abraham, in the face of losing what he loves. When I lose what I love, I have this opportunity to either be endangered or empowered. When I lose what I love, next one, when I see the end is near. When I see the end is near, verse 20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regards to their future. By faith, circle it, underline it, highlight it, Jacob when he was dying blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. Verse 22, by faith Joseph when his end was near spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Part of my grace story, when I get the opportunity to share it in a, in a public setting or in just a setting one-on-one, -on -one, part of my story is that at Circle Sea Ranch, it's a camp close to here, that I, I came to an understanding of faith. Prior to that, prior to that, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to VBS every summer. I went to Christian school. I went to uh, the, the junior church, we called it, during that process. And I literally went forward every time that an altar call was given. I would go forward. Yes, I want to accept Christ. And to the point where I, I can't necessarily be certain of it, I would think at some point my parents, when they got the phone call from that junior church teacher or something, they got that phone call from the VBS worker, they had to basically kind of roll their eyes and they said, you know, your son has accepted Christ. Yeah, he did that last weekend too, you know. Um, and at this camp, Circle C, <coughs> Uh, there's a man who worked there. We called him Sheriff Red. He, wore, he was a retired man. He wore a cowboy hat and a, and a plastic gun on his hip all the time. So we called him Sheriff Red. And he saw me go forward there at that camp like three or four times that week. And he pulled me off to the side and he said, okay, guy, You're like, let's talk about this. What's going on? And he took me through the Bible and took me through some scripture in 1 John that talked about Jesus holding us in the palm of his hand and who is going to remove you from God's hand. I got to share with him last summer. There was an alumni reunion. I got to share with him last summer uh, and with tears running down his face to say, you know, I, I don't know if you remember this story or you remember me, but when I was eight years old, you pulled me aside and told me to knock it off. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I don't know if you knew this, but you know, I've become a pastor, and I'm, I, we planted a church, and we're, we're serving in the Williamsville area. 
and uh, I've just become the pastor at Randall Church, and just tears running down his face. And he, he called his, his wife over, and he called friends over, to say, and he'd tell me to tell the story again. I got a phone call last weekend on Friday morning that Sheriff Red Shattuck was uh, in, undergoing hospice care. He was uh, on his deathbed, and he wasn't sure how many more days that he had. And he said, can you come and see me? Can you come and see me? And Friday we were doing a few things, and long story short, I didn't get to see him. And he passed away Monday morning uh, this week. But you know what he wanted to do? He knew the end was near. And I'm so grateful that I shared with him last summer what I did. He wanted to pull me close and just, I was part of his legacy. He wanted to pull me close and say, hey, tell me that story again. Tell me that story again and how your life was affected and how you're living your life for Christ. And people did. People from all around came and they stood by his bedside and told him, you know, this is what has happened because of your life. And I know that he heard what I got to share last summer, and I know we'll have plenty of time and glory to be able to tell that story again and again and again. But what's the point behind it? Why did he want to do that? Why did he want to bring people in close? Because just one more time, he wanted to communicate the truth of God's Word. Just one more time, he wanted to demonstrate how much God loved him, and so then he wanted to demonstrate and talk about God's love for you and for me. And that's the same thing we see demonstrated here with Jacob and to see that with Joseph. And we see that <coughs> with how they were pulling their sons in close when they knew the end was near and they wanted to communicate just one more time. You know, they could live in fear and they could endanger everything. What they said in those moments could endanger everything. And I'll tell you, just this personal story of me and Sheriff Red Shattuck, a guy who, who took a few moments with an eight-year-old kid. And now just knowing that that was what he wanted me to remember in those last moments of his life, that has an impact. What common life experiences with each of us can endanger and empower us when we see the end is near and when we see I need the fuel for the journey. When I need fuel for the journey. Verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents, Moses's, I think that's right, Moses's, yeah, that's right. Yep, that's right. <laughs> By faith, circle that, don't circle the apostrophe. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. When I need fuel for the journey. 
How many of you have run out of gas in a vehicle before? Or you're sputtering along and you know, if I live here in the village of Williamsville and you can, you can let that yellow light stay on for a long time uh, before you stop. But not all areas is it the case. And there's one time I ran out of gas that I will never forget. It was in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, at the mile marker on the I-95, when I-95 and I-16 come together, right there in Savannah, Georgia. I know the spot very specifically. I was on a motorcycle, and I went by an exit ramp, and I thought, you know, I don't need to stop at that one. I've got a few more miles left in the tank. I didn't have a few miles left in the tank. And so what I ended up doing was going down, and then there was one of those, you know, do not uh, turn around turnarounds uh, that you're not supposed to use, and so I used it. And um, I pushed my motorcycle over to the other side of the interstate. You ever try to push a motorcycle across the interstate when cars are coming at you 70 miles an hour? It was an interesting thing. I kind of felt like it was Frogger, you know, where you're making your way back and forth. But I got myself over to the other side because I could see that the next exit was a significant amount up and I was going to have to make my way back to the previous exit. And so I'll tell you, I know specifically because I watched the odometer turn that I pushed my motorcycle three miles to the gas station. And I watched that thing just tick by closer. And then I would stop, put the kickstand down. I'd think, well, someone will probably stop and help me out. Someone stopped and helped me out at 2.9 miles. <laughs> I told him to keep going. I said, get out of here. I'll be fine. If you've ever run out of gas, you understand you need fuel for the journey. The parents of Moses, they were fueled for the journey. They, they were told to hand over their baby for execution by Pharaoh, but they were confident of the rule of God over their own lives. Obeying God was more important than obeying this Pharaoh, obeying this ruler. Their fuel was that they were doing God's work, that they knew that God had a plan for this little boy. And refusing to obey the king rather than do that, by refusing that they were going to obey instead the rule of God himself. So you see, faithful people sort out the difficult decisions in life. They establish the priorities and they faith earthly tyrants without fear because they've got fuel for the journey, knowing, knowing that God is in control. When Moses rejected his adopted royal family, he experienced a profound loss when that happened. When he stepped away from the royal family, he goes from being part of the authority of the region to being a slave in the region. And by doing that, he steps away from all that and he actually engages with these Hebrew slaves and now he has become one of them and now he is going to become the direct focus of the oppression of the enemy. But he was always looking forward. He, he did not get caught up looking at the, what was existing. The temporal sin is what it says here in Scripture. He wasn't going to get caught up in the here not to see what might be there. And so he didn't focus on what was here. He focused on what was there instead. See, faithful people can never be satisfied with what is here. They are fueled by what is there. Directed by God to establish the Passover the observance, Moses was fueled by this motivation that he was going to rescue souls from judgment if they could correctly demonstrate what was foreshadowing Christ on the cross. If they could do that, he could rescue souls from judgment and destruction. And splashing blood on the doorpost was going to be a visual representation, a dramatic illustration of the awful cost that was going to have to be paid for sin and for death. 
Faithful people will do whatever it takes. They are fueled by this. They will do whatever it takes to reach people for Christ. What common life experiences endanger and power a faithful life when I need fuel for the journey, and then lastly, when I am strong and when I am weak. When I am strong and when I am weak. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she had welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of, the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There are others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. There were some who were put to death by stoning. Some were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the grounds. They were all commended for their what? For their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us, they would be made perfect. You see, there's a tremendous blowing fog around what it means to have faith. You know, there, there are really, when we, we look at what faith really is and what kind of life it guarantees, there are many who teach today that a life of faith will be a life of prosperity, a life of faith will be a life of health and a life of wealth. But a life of faith is not demonstrated that way here in Scripture. When we talk about the heroes of the faith, the hall of fame for faith, you'll see that there's what is going on in this chapter is a wallop in our face of what it really means to be faithful. It never lined up really, this idea of health and wealth and prosperity, of being faithful, that God will bless us. That doesn't actually line up with what we see Jesus teaching when he walked this earth. And so it kind of forces us into this question that is often asked, so why do bad things happen to good people? You see, many things in life are utterly opposite the way they seem. They're exactly opposite of what we would expect. And while the precious children of God are permitted to suffer and be rejected and to be forced out to the outliers, to the, to the outsides and mistreated and go destitute, God is giving through that a gift to the world. It's his grace to the world. He is shedding his love abroad to the world. Why? Because really, at the end of the day, they're pushed to the extremes. Those who suffer and die in unshakable assurance of the hope that is in God, that faith, the world has been given a message that it cannot shake and a picture that says this, Jesus and relationship with Jesus himself is better than life itself. Jesus and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is better than life itself. So the last statement I want to make this morning is faith crests 
when we surrender to God that which is most, most precious to us. The pinnacle of faith, the cresting of the wave, the climbing of the mountain of faith is going to come when we surrender to God that which is most precious to us. Faith is action. The first action step in any recovery program is surrender. I don't care if you're an alcoholic, I don't care if you deal with narcotics, I don't care if you're dealing with overeating or if you're dealing with pornography or if you're dealing with sin. The first step, action step, is always surrender. Here it is actually the first step. Realize I am not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life has become unmanageable. Step one of any recovery program. The people in these chapters are are famous for their faith, right? Well, do you notice what describes them? Do you notice that they are all presented in some term that has to do with action? Noah surrendered to the debacle that it would look like, and he went out and he built an ark. Abraham surrendered to God, and he said, you know what? This is not the land for me. I am going to that far country because you told me to do so. Jacob surrendered the realization that he would not be able to raise his family in the land that they loved, and he was going to have to send them to Egypt. He surrendered and sent his sons. Joseph surrendered to now the authority and the prestige that his family had there in Egypt. He surrendered to the fact that exile, they would have to, there would be an exodus out of Egypt, and he actually gave instructions for that of what to do with his bones. Moses surrendered when he chose to go and live with the Hebrews and live as a slave. He surrendered all that he knew for what God was going to do. You see, faith is synonymous with action. Apart from action, there is no faith. But the first step of faith is always surrender. To bring you back to my story about my grandmother, she was in New York. The three boys are in Florida, miles and miles away from her. And what happened over the next year, she was not a believer at the time. They did go to church occasionally, but God got a hold of her life. And so this man, Chuck Swain, the guy that I call grandfather, he had paid for her to have a plane ticket to fly her down and get her uh, with her kids and bring them back. And over the next year, uh, he was also damaged goods. He, uh, he owned a bar. He uh, was divorced. Uh, he had an alcohol problem. He was a friend of a friend. He was a mess. But the process of seeing this woman that he knew, a friend of a friend that was going through such tremendous pain and tremendous loss and how she was working through that, He'd been in a car accident and lost most of the use in both of his hands, and so his, his process of being able to use his hands again was going to be a very difficult one, and God kind of spoke into that. And what he called at that time his crazy religious sister shared Jesus with him. And the pain and the suffering that they had gone through was what empowered them to see God move in their lives. And they came together. He had two kids, she had seven, and they said, these won't be yours kids, my kids. They chose not to have any of their own children together so that there would never be a difference between the two, and they raised nine kids. And now, 
There are 22 grandchildren, 19 great-grandchildren. Three of us are church planters or pastors. God is at work and moving in this family by faith. But as I share that with you this morning, don't think for a moment that there aren't any scars. Don't think for a moment that there wasn't damage done by what both of these families went through when they came together. Don't think for a moment that of those 22 grandchildren, 19 great-grandchildren, that there's not damage that's been done there, that relationships are, are confusing and that things are messed up because of what those, my aunts and uncles, what they lived through in their childhood had a lasting impression on their life. As the band comes forward this morning, we need to remember as we look at this hall of faith, we don't look at, at people that we put up on a pedestal and think, well, I'll never be like that. Because at the end of the day, God created them too in his own image, just like he's created you and he's created me. And faith is all about taking steps. Faith is all about taking steps that you don't know where they'll go. It says that all of these did not know in their lifetime what would turn out and how it would work out. And we are in a far country. This world is not our home. We, we don't know what it is that we've got. What, what's happening here is not it. And at times we get ourselves so wrapped up in everything that's going to happen when we should be really looking forward and being fueled by what God has planned for us. And so I pray this morning that you are encouraged by his word because many of you are coming in here this morning and there's this picture-perfect idea of what it looks like to come to church on a Sunday and that just doesn't seem to fit you. The reality is it doesn't fit any of us here. And we're playing games when we act that way. We come in here with some battle scars. We come in here with some wounds. That's what faith is. And so dear Lord, we thank you this morning for who you are. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to speak of faith that crests, the summit of faith being when we go through difficult situations, and we are going through them many right now, this week, that those wounds and those scars and those damaging relationships and all that might be going on, Lord, that that would not be what destroys us, but that would be what empowers us to have faith in you. What a demonstration of the gospel when we can verbally say and demonstrate with a tangible way in our lives, Jesus, a life in relationship with you is better than life itself. So we ask you for that this morning. We ask you that you would put that desire in our hearts, that we would speak those words off of our lips. If there's some here that this concept is too foreign, too extreme, too far out there, Lord, I pray that your word would come after them. That the words would fly off of this page in Hebrews, of the valiant things that many did for you and yet never saw any evidence of it in their own lifetime. But they continued forward. And so we do that this morning. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We sing today knowing that glory will come, that your kingdom 
is here and it's not yet. It's all around us. And so as we lift our voices this morning, we lift with expectancy in our hearts for what you are going to do because this is not our home. We long for that far country. So pull our hearts in that direction, Lord, so that we will shed off the cares and the woes of this world so that we are chasing hard after what you've called us to chase hard after. Give us faith to do so and fill us up in the process. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand as we sing together?